Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would speak to us all. We pray that you would challenge us, encourage us, and remind us of who you are as our God, our protector, our saviour, and our Lord. Amen. Right, we should have had this um, reading that we've just had from Sarah uh, when we had Harvest Festival. I did a swap with Ian because we felt it was a rather frightening story to have at Harvest Festival. We give Ian a, a, a lovely you know, gooey, tame, but very encouraging psalm. I'm sure he didn't preach it in a cuddly, tame kind of way. It's not Ian's style. But today we've got a humdinger, haven't we? One of the most dramatic passages in the whole Bible. And one of the most scary passages as well. Just think if it had gone wrong, if God hadn't been there. Uh, I want to thank Sarah for that reading. I think the translators uh, of that version of the Bible made sure that they got the difficult names in as many times as possible. <laughs> If you notice the repetition, you'll notice as well that I won't be saying Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego all that often. I'll talk about Daniel's friends because they were friends of Daniel. So, the fiery furnace. We don't get into Daniel in the lion's den, but a similarly terrifying story and God protecting Daniel and he comes out uh, completely uh, intact from being in a den with lions. Amazing stories, these and these stories have a long, for a long time now been very special to Christians but also to Jews when they were undergoing horrible persecution. Many, of course, did not come out of that persecution alive. But I think we can be sure from what we go through today that being faithful to God, standing up for him and not compromising is the only way to go and we will be rewarded for that in heaven. So we're looking a bit at persecution today. It's going to be a very challenging uh, session where we think about, well, what about us? We don't have many lion's dens around, fortunately, or fiery furnaces, but we might just have the equivalent. And even on less scary and dramatic uh, signs of opposition, we are still called to be faithful and to stand up for our Lord. So let's just have a little look at this particular reading, try and uh, understand what it's all about. Daniel, as Sarah helped us uh, latch onto at the beginning, was one of the young men from Judah who had been exiled, taken away to Babylon from Jerusalem on King Nebuchadnezzar's orders. That was around 605 BC. They were in the first group of specially selected exiles who I think were seen by the Babylonians as kind of star Israelites, the people who could be useful, intelligent, strong, whatever. But they were a special first group. I suspect the elderly like me probably were not told they had to go to Babylon in that first round. But the young men, the star people were, and Daniel and his three friends were in that group. There were two more mass deportations to come, but they were in the first. I also want to just mention, because it's in our source book for today, but I'm not going to say much about it, that there's a very similar story in the book of Esther, which we very rarely look at. It's well worth a little look as a bit of homework. The book of Esther is very odd because it doesn't mention God once. A book in the Bible that doesn't mention God, if you look at it, you'll probably see why. But it's a similar story to this. 
in that it inspired people um, who came along afterwards and were suffering persecution. She was uh, a young Jewish girl, very beautiful apparently. She caught the eye of uh, the king in um, uh, a few hundred years later, and it was a different king this time. It was King Xerxes the Great in Persia. That was the big empire 200 years on after the Babylonians. So she was a Jewish exile, just like Daniel and his three friends. Uh, she was in Susa, the capital of Persia, noticed by the king, and she became Queen Esther. He didn't know she was Jewish. And just like as in the story we've had today, some rather crafty opponents of these uh, very uh, impressive Jewish people, they tried to set them up so that the king had to have them executed. There was a plot. They wanted shot of the Jews. And how many more times in history has that been uh, true? Now, King Xerxes ruled from 486 to 465 BC. He seemed to be uh, rather bad-tempered. You know, you, you couldn't um, uh, cut across him without being in trouble. And yet, through Esther, who was very persuasive and managed to persuade him on certain fronts, she actually saved her people, the Jewish people, because of her influence at the top. Now, most of us probably will not get to the top of an awful lot, have massive influence nationally or internationally, but who knows, some of us might. But God can use us wherever we are. And Esther, just like Daniel and his friends, stood firm for God, and she actually managed to save her people. The persecution was avoided. Right, back to Daniel and company. They're the victims of a cunning plot, and as we know now, they survived it. These stories are still relevant to us today. They're not just colourful, nice stories in the Bible, which may get us excited. They give us a few big challenges to face, um, to face up to, really. We may not, at the moment in this country, have life-threatening problems and scary things. We may not have the level of persecution, anything like what we read about in the Bible, but of course it could come at almost any time. And I want to pose two questions at the beginning, and we'll look at them again at the end. I think these two questions are posed really by this story. So the first question for us today, how deep are my faith and loyalty to God in times of trouble? When the going gets tough, do I stand firm? Or do I lose trust, stop praying, feel depressed and, and you know, just give up really? So that's a big challenge. How deep? are our faith and loyalty to God when life is tough. Secondly, how firmly do I stand up for Jesus when it would be far easier and safer not to do so? Day by day, when we could stand firm, when we could explain our faith, how often do we just take the comfortable option and not take the opportunities God presents? So God saved Daniel and his three friends from great peril. Our talk today is peril and providence. They're old-fashioned words. Peril just meaning really great danger. He saved them, and he saved Esther, and she saved the Jewish people in her time in 
Persia, where they were in exile. They were powerful witnesses to God's glory, his love, and his power, because it was through God's power that they escaped certain death. And we, are, we too are called to keep the faith, like Joshua, to be strong and courageous, and to do so in the face of mocking, persecution, ridicule, blasphemy, and any other dangers and sufferings that might come our way. When life gets tough, where are we and where is our faith when it's really tested? By God's grace and in his strength alone, we can bring, bring glory to Jesus by standing firm, whatever that may mean in our particular lives. Our personal challenges right now, although we may moan and groan about them, are probably pretty tame if we're honest. But we are all called still to be faithful, to look to God for his guidance and his protective care and just to simply trust in him. He is absolutely trustworthy and he loves us. It's been said that the word providence, which I've always struggled with, I never knew what it meant really, that it means we have a God who is active, uh, he has big plans, and small plans for his world. He has big plans and small plans for the church and for individuals. In other words, he's into the detail of our lives, but he's also there in the big things, the war in Ukraine, the cost of living crisis, whatever. God is there for his people. We need to call upon him and we need to trust him. So providence is not some vague notion, some impersonal word for God, which people used to use a lot in the 17th century. It actually means God's love in action. It's God's plan, his guidance coming through and affecting human circumstances, whatever they may be. Now, what perils do we face today? I've already hinted at it, but let's have a look at them. Let's not downplay our difficulties. We don't have lion's dens, perhaps. We don't have fiery furnaces. But we do have other things that can really affect us. It's vital that we tackle them properly and in faith. But let's not be naive. Let's be ready for the challenges which are coming our way or could come our way. The first challenge which came to me was the church is up against it because the prevailing wisdom around today in this country is one of... Um, materialistic attitudes, antagonistic attitudes, or just even apathy towards the church and towards the gospel. You know, so what? Oh, that's old hat stuff. That story of Daniel, did it ever happen? It's just made up. All that kind of stuff is around, and it can be quite dispiriting and upsetting and keep us quiet, which is exactly what the devil wants. Secondly, the various health, economic, and social fears we probably all experience. It's not an easy time at the moment. The uncertain futures which face all of us, our families and our friends, none of us knows the future, but we can know that we have Jesus with us throughout that future and right the way through to heaven and eternity. Another thing which probably upsets you just like me, the growing regularity of natural disasters climate change the world really is hotting up and there's far more disasters 
it's really, really upsetting. You know, why does God allow this to happen? Well, it's to do with what men do, what we have carelessly done over many years. It's not really God's fault. He didn't create his uh, creation to then ruin it. No, that's what men and women have done. And then we have unrest, we have violence, we have injustice, poverty, starvation, even in this country, but certainly across the world. All of these things can make us depressed, pessimistic, and knock our confidence in God, in his power, his promises, and his purposes. Yet time and again in this series, as we've looked at how the Bible uh, works, what its key themes are, and how they are relevant for us today, we have seen that God is faithful. He is always there, and he is in control. He has already secured our eternal future, even if we're not sure about our health or whatever it may be in the years that are to come. He has sorted everything out for us by sending Jesus, his son. He has paid the price for our sins. We've done our confession today, but the victory is already won because of the empty cross, because Jesus rose from the dead. He's conquered sin, death, and the devil. So we shouldn't really be fearful about the future or the present. If we truly believe this, we probably would all tend to nod to those things, then we are simply called today by God to live them out, to live by these truths, to be true to what we believe, and to trust in the Holy Spirit to give us the courage to face troubles and to bring glory to God in the way we do so. Slight tangent now, but this is really important, looking at the wider world and about perils. In January 2017, the independent newspaper created a huge stir. There was a report, and this is what it said. It's reported that Christians are the most persecuted religious group in the world, according to the Christian think tank, the Center for the Study of Global Christianity. This is five years ago, so I don't know what the figures are for now. The report goes on. It says that 900,000 Christians have been martyred in the last decade, equating to 90,000 a year, one every six minutes. Well, I don't know what the figures have been over the centuries, but millions of people must have died because they had the courage to stand up for Jesus. Stephen was the first martyr. You remember the story. He was stoned to death outside Jerusalem. Paul, or Saul as he was then, was holding the cloaks in Acts 7. And Stephen died because he would not give up on his faith in Jesus. There are many lessons for us from the martyrs. But what I like about Stephen is that he, just like Jesus on the cross, said, Forgive them. They don't really know what they're, they're doing. We'll come to that precise uh, quote in a minute. So if we have a choice, and we do each day of our lives, the choice of die or deny Christ, we actually all know what we are called to do. If it comes to the crunch, we know what we're called to do. If we are followers of Jesus, we have got to stand up for him in all circumstances, whatever that might mean. And we've had it pretty cushy, most of us, most of our Christian lives. 
But ultimately, we must stand firm. Just a bit of New Testament teaching on persecution. A few verses now just to round things off. Matthew 10. Jesus said, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, like St. Peter did, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. It's really important that we are brave Christians and that we stand up for our Lord. Luke 6, Jesus again said this, Blessed are you, happy are you, when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Jesus shows here that we can actually be happy under horrible persecution because we are sticking close to God and pleasing him. Thirdly, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Even in appalling circumstances, in being murdered illegally, as Jesus was, we can still have that love of God pouring through us. It's amazing, changing us from natural cowards, whatever we might be, into loving Christians, showing the character of God. That is what we're called to do if it comes to it. And then the episode of St. Stephen, the first Christian martyr. Look, he said, before he asked God to forgive his persecutors and his murderers, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Just as with the angel in the fiery furnace, Stephen was very aware that God was with him in his final minutes, his final hours. And he too uh, asked for forgiveness. Do not hold this sin against them, he said. And finally, perhaps more for you and me, it was certainly for the disciples. These are Jesus' final words, his final uh, message to his disciples in John 15. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. In other words, what we stand up for when we are Christians, our values, beliefs, uh, requirements of God, which the world doesn't really want to recognize, where the devil's got his hands on people, they don't like what we stand for. When it comes to the crunch, we are having to stand up against the tide, the prevailing wisdom and attitudes, and it's always been that way. So, in conclusion, Christian martyrs, all the many millions of them, and today, this very day, there'll be Christians killed for their faith, they were killed because they followed Jesus and not the ways and expectations of the world. Most of the writers of the New Testament, they were martyred, they were killed for their faith. It has been said that people might die for a lie they think is true. But no one dies for a lie he knows to be false. These people truly believed and therefore they had to stand up for their beliefs.
Christians facing persecution know that what they believe is true. And we also know that we have to be obedient to what Jesus has called us to. It's not come and follow me and have a lovely cushy ride. No problems at all. That is not the Christian gospel. It is follow me in all circumstances. Trust me, whatever your situation. When we come to know Jesus and start to follow him, we will be opposed by those who either hate or just ignore God, who are not on his side. The spiritual battle around us is still real, but we serve a victorious saviour. Jesus loves us, was willing to die for us on the cross, and he's given us everything he had. He's given us his life. He's given us all the blessings which we will share with him when we get to heaven. And he calls us all to stand up for him and seek to please him in all things. In our source book, Whole Life, Whole Bible, I'm just going to read out a a, a short section which sums this all up very nicely. Being true to our faith and our Lord means acting wisely and without compromises. Negotiating that line between serving the Lord and serving Nebuchadnezzar or Christ or Caesar doesn't get easier as life goes on. Like other captives, Daniel and Esther had to wrestle with God's purposes for their lives. They probably weren't naturally courageous, but they were wise. They listened. They knew what God required of them, and then they obeyed. Conquered and carried into the world beyond Judah, both Daniel and Esther became prominent in their new circumstances and served the Lord and their people with God-given courage and intelligence. The success of their lives in exile was due to their faithfulness to the God who went before them. And this will be true of us if we too stand firm. What I want to do uh, as we end now is just to put those challenges out again, those two questions I posed earlier. And then in, in a bit of quiet, let's just reflect on them in our lives. Firstly, how deep are my faith and loyalty to God in times of trouble? Let's just be still before God. Think about that. And as we pray about these questions, let's um, allow God to change us as he wishes to stop us from being careless in these things. The second question, how firmly do I stand up for Jesus when it would be far easier and safer not to do so? Let's recommit ourselves now to serve the Lord faithfully as he has served us. Some words from St. Paul, and then we're done. This is the challenge that's in the Bible for us. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm 
and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Amen.